Welcome to episode 38 of the Dare to Dream podcast. I am Vincent Van Patten. I'm Gregory Russell Benedict. And this is a show for people who want to get the absolute most out of life and dare to dream big. Today, we are excited to bring you a special guest who goes by the name of Danny Miller. Dan is a husband, a girl dad to two daughters, a rad 80s, 90s neon wearing mogul skier, a successful restaurant owner, a CrossFit level two OG coach and box owner, first civilian lead on the Seal Fit Kokoro coaching staff, and he's formerly known as Mean Dan. He's currently the owner of 2120 Fitness in Del Mar, California. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure. So I think we have to start with this question is, where did the nickname Mean Dan come from? You know, that's, uh, that's through a lot of hard work. That's through pain and suffering and training on the grinder up in uh, Encinitas, also in my own gym, which I opened in 2012. Uh, if anybody knows me, uh, you know that I bring a lot of passion to the workouts, especially if I'm the coaching lead on the workouts. So, um, especially when I work out, man, like it's, it's, uh, when I throw myself into the mix and I start working out myself, um, it, somebody is just not quite putting out the level that I know that they can put out at as far as effort, right? That's what we're talking about as far as putting out, you know, it just, you know, sends a spark through me that like, uh, you know, gets me pretty fired up. So I think mean Dan, you know, coming back from the older days of training and I'm talking about, you know, back in, you know, Oh eight, Oh nine, uh, back at the seal fit grinder up in Encinitas. I mean, I could potentially go off and I think that's where mean Dan kind of spawned. Got it. Yeah. I think I've seen just a taste of that at CrossFit here in Del Mar, but not the true, not the true mean Dan. Uh, probably not the true mean Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Mean Dan could go pretty ballistic. Um, I, you know, and people want it. People always say, Hey, let, let's bring back mean Dan. We want more of that. But, uh, the truth be told fellas, like it takes a lot of energy. Uh, mean Dan is not easy. Uh, you know, you got to take it to another level. And, uh, I, I, you know, just 55 years old. I'm not sure I still have that in me, so, (laughs) but it does. Hey, it can come out. Definitely takes more energy to, to be mad sometimes than to just let things go. Yeah. You know, like I said, Vincent, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it, it, it's like you're doing a physical task and you're in the moment and you have a certain expectation for others. Um, you have an expectation for yourself first. And I, I know I hold myself to a pretty high standard. And then, uh, for example, you know, if I'm around younger people and we're doing a hero type workout, like in CrossFit, there's uh, a lot of workouts that are that represent uh, fallen heroes that have known to train CrossFit in the past. And, uh, you know, if somebody's going to shave reps or they're going to take it off or they're going to go to a sip of water or they're going to take a knee and take it easy, I, I'll freak the hell out. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be honest with you guys. You know, it's, um, it's just one of those things that uh, gets me pretty fired up. So where I want to take this in the beginning is a question we love to ask all our guests right up front is tell us about a time that you dared to dream of living an extraordinary life. You dared to dream of living a life that was true to yourself and not just what others expected of you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can think back as far as um, hanging out in my front yard back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, laying in the grass and looking up at the clouds. Um, I think my, my, my wife would kind of attest to this too. I'm a bit of a daydreamer for sure. Uh, but... Um, you know, I always thought when I was a young kid that uh, I wanted to do exactly what I ended up doing, uh, in a sense. And uh, I just didn't know that. I don't think any of us really know it until we get the nudge that we really need. And then to act upon your thoughts or your dreams from earlier in your childhood. And for me, it was just trying to be the best skier I could possibly be. And I just knew I couldn't do it in the environment that I was growing up in, but eventually it would lead me to where I eventually ended up and then I could pursue those dreams. You had this dream, you knew you wanted to do something else. Was it easy to like, was that the path that was laid forward and that was encouraged by other people? Or did you have to chart your own path to get into that? Well, um, my mom and dad, especially my mom, uh, she was very encouraging. She always wanted me to pursue any dreams that I may have that I wanted to, 
you know, set for myself and she was 100% behind me. So, uh, kind of, kind of a funny thing when I, when I talk about, you know, leaving my hometown in Michigan and then going pursuing my dreams, um, at the time, uh, it was 1984. There was no internet. There was no phone. There was no way of figuring out logistically how you were going to get to where you were going. So, and I didn't have a car at the time. I knew I wanted to get from Michigan to Colorado and, uh, there was a local college station, a college radio station called WIDR and, uh, in Kalamazoo. And, uh, it was the, the, the radio station for Western Michigan and they have a show called outward bound. And it was basically, Hey, Dan's looking for a ride to Colorado. Is there anybody out there that could, uh, you know, give him a ride out there? And I was like, sure enough, I get associated with this guy named Tim. Uh, I share some of the gas, you know, some of the, the gas to get out to Colorado. And he said, I get you as far as Denver, but I can't get you past that. And I'm like, Hey, cool. So I got $120 in my pocket. Uh, you know, I got a pair of skis and, and, uh, you know, one of those big metal frame backpacks. And <laughs> there I went, I didn't know anybody. Um, I had some exposure to that area when I was a kid, but, um, there I went. How old were you? When I was 18. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you think there's like a, you know, so when we're kids, maybe we have, we have a dream and we believe that it's possible because we haven't really been in the, in the world yet, you know, so to speak. Um, but when you kind of get into your, your twenties, maybe even your thirties, it seems, it seems like the world kind of tells you that it's more and more unrealistic to follow what you're actually, what's in your heart and what you actually want to do. Can you basically tell me what that was like for you when you really realized that this is my life and I have to, if I want to go the way that I want to, I really have to take a leap of faith here and trust myself over what basically everybody else is telling me or what I should be doing. Yeah, fellas, I don't think at that time it was really all that difficult at all. Um, I, I found myself in college. Um, probably looking out the windows a little more than I should, um, you know, really thinking about what I wanted to be doing and what I was currently doing. And it wasn't, uh, it didn't come from a pressure from my parents necessarily that they said, Hey, you, you have to get through school. You have to get a college education. Your college education is going to set you up for some other experience in life. Right. So mm -hmm. I knew that, um, somewhere halfway through that semester, it was like, Hey, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to go to Colorado and this is exactly what I'm going to do. Cause I'm going to pursue a skiing career. And you know, it just wasn't, you know, the, 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 the same opportunities weren't uh, available to me, um, in Michigan as they would be in Colorado. So I think I just had the mindset that I was going to go, but it didn't take long to make that decision. I think a lot of us, you know, just got to make the decisions that, you know, making decisions sometimes is the hardest part, right? Uh, once you get to the point to where um, you can just go, I, like I didn't have anything, guys. I, like I said, I literally had $120 in my pocket and probably 40 of that went to gas, right? <laughs> uh, so I didn't have anything. I didn't know how I was going to get started. I didn't know where I was going to stay. It was a complete, you know, blind leap of faith. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I'm so glad I did it. Um, but to your answer your question, you know, when you're younger, I, I think when you have less, it's easier to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think once you start to gather a few more material things, we can talk about this too later in the conversation about, you know, later becoming a dad and having some properties and having businesses and, you know, accruing things. Um, but that feeling really doesn't leave me to you know, wanting to do something else. Like there's something else that I should be doing and I might be in that position right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so. So you spent some time in Colorado. You were a mogul skier. I'm assuming you had a sweet mullet. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had an incredible mullet, but you know, <laughs> but there was a lot more party in the front, uh, plenty of party in the back. Um, but not a lot of business in the front. It was pretty flowy, man. Cause you know, we had to rock a headband and if you're going to have a headband, you got to have some hair coming over the front a little bit and then lots of hair in the back. Yeah. It was incredible. You've wow. got to, what was one of the highlights of your skiing career or just one of the lessons you learned from spending time in Colorado, not really knowing what was next, but pursuing your passion. You know, I, my skiing career was, um, 
a little bit complicated in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I had a lot of talent. Um, I had a lot of people that believed in me that, you know, I could achieve, could achieve the dreams that I had set forth for me and the goals that I had. Uh, but sometimes you get in the get in the way of yourself sometimes, um, to just allow it to happen. And, uh, I was very critical of myself and very hard on myself back then. Um, instead of just kind of going with the flow and just trusting that, you know, others believe in you, you should believe in yourself a little bit more. So I think that's the one thing that I learned. If I look back on my career that I could do a little bit differently, I would probably just chill a lot more. Like I look, I was going to put in the work no matter what, but not be so hypersensitive to chasing perfection and that everything had to be just right. Mm -hmm. That's what I would change. Probably. It makes me think of something that I've been thinking about a lot lately in the, in the Tao Te Ching. I don't know if you're familiar with Taoism, but we've been quite fascinated by it. And there's a line that says practice non-doing and everything will fall into place. And I've just been thinking that what that really means, is it like, actually do nothing physically just kind of sit around and hope that something happens but i think it means more of kind of just change your perspective like non-doing in the sense of i need to make things happen now in exactly the way that i expect them to happen it's kind of more of just like you knew you were going to like you knew you had the passion in you to to be a skier and maybe if you just let go a little bit more and were able to kind of just flow with it um you could just enjoy the experience more. And that's maybe when everything falls into place is when we take a step back and just try to appreciate wherever we are. Oh, hundred um, percent. You know, I think in my twenties, uh, you know, I was probably just way too high strung to, to be able to exhale and just really experience, you know, just enjoy the experience for all it was worth. I, I'll never forget there was a there was an alpine skier that came up to me he was a he was a veteran ski racer and retired at that time and he came up to me and uh, you know I was young and had a promising future in front of me uh, as a as a young mogul skier and and he said hey man you know clock's ticking make the most of it right now I'll never forget that uh because of two parts right you know, I'm young and I'm in my twenties, I'm feeling invincible, I'm strong, I'm dominating, and I'm thinking this guy is like, okay, clock's ticking, whatever. He's in his thirties, he's really old, right? Yeah. <laughs> For one, which is so weird. And I'm just thinking like it's not gonna happen to me. You know, I'm the young guy and you know, I got lots of time ahead of me. But uh that that still sort of resonates with me because uh, you know, being at the age I am now, it's, it's, it's crazy to look back on that and just think how fast it really goes. So mm -hmm. anybody out there listening, Hey, clock is ticking for sure. So make it happen. For sure. How do you, you know, how do you find that kind of, um, reconcile the, the balance of really just appreciating where you are and not trying to force things so much, but also realizing that if I don't make things happen, now, like there's not, not getting any, any younger. Um, there's no time, like, like the present, how do you kind of balance those things? Uh, you know, guys, I'll, I'll give you a different perspective on this because it, like I said, I probably said it a couple times already, but I'm 55 years old and, <laughs> you look great. and oh, yeah. thank you, Gregory. <laughs> you look great coach. Dad. Don't edit this. Okay. Keep that. Keep it going. Keep it going, boys. So, you know, I, you know, I, I look at it now at 55 years old. Right. And I want to, pursue different things and I want to try, I want to have new experiences and I want to continue to grow just like the position you're at in your life or anybody listening that's in their twenties. Uh, but it's like a, you know, you got to really fight thinking it's a limited window, right? You should still chase and pursue those dreams, but it's like, okay, well, I don't have as much time in front of me to make the mistakes that I could potentially make and learn from those mistakes and continue to grow. But you have to resist that thought. Mm -hmm. um, I think great things are in front of me still, but I just have to allow that to happen and say, hey, look, you know, now I'm 55 years old, but I got to continue to take chances mm -hmm. and I might hit, I might miss. I don't know, but you know, you got to challenge yourself. And I think it's harder at an older age than it is when you're younger, but everybody gets handcuffed at every age from just saying, 
okay, let's go. I feel this in my heart and this is a time to make it happen now. That's a great perspective of even though you, you know, you feel like you don't have time in front of you, it's still not an excuse to not take chances, right? Because maybe you think like I have to make my dream happen now and in the way that I expect, but that doesn't mean it's just a one track, you know, like anything can happen, but I guess you got to just keep moving forward in some capacity. See how things unfold. Yeah. hundred percent. You gotta, <laughs> I mean, you know, life's pretty boring if you're just gonna get stuck into doing the same thing. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel I, I, that's an internal struggle with me is, uh, you know, what do I do next? What am I capable of doing? Yeah. Well, I'm capable of doing anything if I want to pursue it, you know? Uh, so whether that's getting back on snow, whether that's being in the mountains, whether that's staying here in Southern California, whether it's, you know, selling insurance, right? Uh, I guess if that's, if that's something that I want to pursue and I want to put myself in a position of, well, sometimes you just need to switch it up a little bit and take on a new challenge. Now it makes it a little bit different because I have a wife and you know two daughters, you know, and then all of a sudden you got to take your eyes off yourself and you got to think about what's in their best interest. You know, guys, like kids are a game changer. Like marriage is no big deal. Marriage is no big deal. Like you know, we can talk about that too. I didn't get married till I was forty six, so. You know, some would say I almost made it, but uh, 46 (laughs) years old, you know, you know, I, I, I met, you know, my wife, Nikki and, and fell in love with her. And, uh, you know, I I knew that kids were in my future with Nikki. If I was to, you know, uh, make a life with her and it's the best thing that ever happened to me, but it does change your perspective a little bit. just because they're heavy on your heart. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's more about them than it is necessarily about you. And we've all heard that plenty of times, right? But you don't know it until you're there. (laughs) One day. One day. Definitely. So one thing I want to ask you about that was kind of coming up is what are the things that you're aiming at over the next couple of years? Like what are your goals? Your, what is the next move for you? Do you think? You know, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, complicated but it's clear at the same time um part of me you know i've been in the fitness space for a long time now and when i say a long time it really goes back about 37 years because when i pursued my skiing career uh, you know i had a really great sports physiologist that i worked with um his name's john fullenkavich back in winter park colorado and in our training, uh, we were kind of his disciples and, and, uh, we were training sports specific. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I learned so much from this guy, you know, um, uh, he was a constant learner and, uh, he wasn't afraid to, you know, express what he wanted to do with us as athletes. Um, but also let us know and be completely transparent. So, when I go through my fitness journey to where I am today and all that experience that I have, I really just want to help more people. How can I help more people in this space? And there's, there's a, there's an enormous challenge that any gym has when you're in a brick and mortar facility and you're trying to bring people into your facility is the fear factor, right? And we're no longer a CrossFit. Uh, we're no longer affiliated with CrossFit. We still train functional fitness. But, you know, bringing people in and then breaking the barriers of perception are very hard. So how do I break that perception? How do I reach out to the person that's been sitting on their couch for the last 10 years? Uh, maybe has never taken, you know, that first couple of steps into, you know, fulfilling their life through exercise, wellness, and fitness. And, uh, I think there's a way to do it. And I think I'm getting in line with the people that, that will help me spread my message. Uh, but that's what I want to do. I just, I I think I have the ability to help more people. Uh, I just can't do it in the capacity that I need to in a, just a single brick and mortar capacity. Maybe the internet will be a player in all this. There we go. Fellas. Okay. Steps. 
what would you say? What is your your core message that you'd want to share with everybody who you train and everybody you come in contact with in the fitness realm? I mean, anything about fitness is really just about consistency. First of all, you got to find something that's going to challenge you, uh, that it resonates with you. Um, you're interested in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's something you're not interested in doing, you're looking at and you go, I never want to do it. However, sometimes people just don't understand what they're capable of and you have to nudge them into that opportunity of really finding themselves. Uh, I think if you gave me anybody for 30 days, I think I could turn that into a transformational experience because I, I understand the training and how to facilitate it and how to scale it for people and make it very palatable for them and then take them on a, you know, not only a physical journey, but an emotional journey. And that's the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. That's the challenge. So, Hey, if yoga is your thing and you want to do it, that's great. If you have Pilates is your thing or Zumba or, you know, uh, let's say jazzercise, that's your thing. And it keeps you going. Greg. I'm, I'm all for it. Greg, Greg, <laughs> Greg's can, giving us a little number right now. Guy. He's doing some steamage. I wish we had video for this. It'd be great. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so you're in Colorado. Give us the next step. What happens after? So I'm in Colorado. Uh, I get a ride on a bus up to Winter Park, Colorado. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm down on that $120 and, you know, I probably have $60 left or so. I get a bus up to uh, Winter Park from Denver. Um, I land on this place. I'm trying to look, you know, for anything to say. Uh, Again, like phone books, phone numbers, calling knocking on doors. There is no internet, right guys? There's no Google. So I can't, so I, I fall on this place called the sits mark and it's basically stay for $5 a night, right? It's like a, it's like a hostel. It's $5 a night and you can stay down there. It's like downstairs in this abandoned hotel kind of thing. You know, once was thriving in the fifties turned into like this hostel type place. And there was another hostel up the road. And then obviously I needed to get a job, right? What am I going to do? You know, I, I can't just become a competitive skier the way I want to. I have to earn some money so I get a job with the ski area. Okay. <laughs> Sounds pretty standard. And I'm working on, you know, one of the, you know, uh, more difficult chairlifts on the mountain that services the more of the extreme terrain, right? Um, awesome job. Really great. However, when you're talking butts for skiers that are like, you know, shredding powder all day and, and, uh, you're shoveling and keeping the lifts going for them. And, um, that was a little difficult for me (laughs) to say the least. So I didn't last too long at that job. Yeah. You just have to watch other people having fun in front of you. Oh, it was brutal. (laughs) Absolutely brutal. So what about after, after mogul skiing, after you spent your time in Colorado, what was next for you? So, uh, during my career, um, I think, uh, right around the early nineties, late eighties, um, early nineties, I was still competing. Um, and I had a girlfriend named Diane and, uh, she was a traveler. She traveled Africa by herself. Um, she traveled all throughout Europe. Um, uh, she was just very dedicated to her craft. What her deal was, was she would work or wait tables for six months or eight months or 12 months or whatever it took. And then she would buy a, you know, a plane flight to Africa or somewhere, you know, and say, you know, I'm landing, uh, wherever I'm going to my destination and I'm spending no less than six months, uh, in that destination to a year, right? That's the only way to travel is you can fully immerse yourself get to know the culture, get to know, you know, kind of where you are. So, so anyway, I started business with Diane, right. And, and, and we're living together and we're opening a restaurant together. And this place was like a, like a deli. It was, it was sort of the town needed it, right. It didn't have to go food or expedited food, uh, that you could get pretty easily, uh, but it was good, healthier fare as well. It was like baked goods and salads and soups and, you know, sandwiches and things like that. Right. So we find this location and we bust ass and we make it happen. Right. 
and Diane and I are living together. We're trying to maintain a relationship together and we're trying to run a business together. And uh, that was very stressful, very hard on both of us. Plus, I was still dreaming of being on the mountain. I still, I was holding a coaching position at that job. And then I was still thinking, okay, the 92 Olympics in Elberville are coming up. That's a possibility. I could train for that, make the U.S. team and go to that. But I'm like enslaved by this business, right? You have to, you have no choice. Again, I have no money. You know, I'm, um, I'm asking people for a loan that I'm paying them back at 15% on their money. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. So long short, anyway, our relationship didn't thrive. We found an amicable solution to break it off. She wanted to go to PA school uh, out in California and I bought her out. And then I continued to pursue the deli in which I owned and operated for about 11 years. A lot of pain for six years, man, till I could hire a general manager. And then once we got to that point, uh, it was pretty awesome because it was affording the things that I wanted to do. Plus, I was going down to Costa Rica and surfing, uh, you know, for six weeks in the fall and six weeks in the spring. It's pretty sick after skiing all winter. So here we go. It's got to be tough having a business partner who wants to travel for six months to a year. Mm. Did that come up when you were working with Diane? Uh, I, I think we both made the commitment that we were going to put our head down and do this and that the travel thing was still a possibility. We still made it happen. We just had to like kind of tag, like one would stay behind and run the business while the other would travel. So it was a pretty good relationship as far as that goes, but it just didn't last long because, you know, she had other ambitions straight away in the business and we both felt it was probably you know, looking back on it, I don't think it was a great, you know, um, that I was that psyched about it, to be honest with you, because of the workload I was going to have to take on. And I was like, you know, missing, you know, some powder days and being <laughs> up in the mountain and things you love doing. And, and, uh, and, you know, quite frankly, I was pretty young, you know, I was 24 years old. I was like, you know, I'm not over the hill. I could still compete. Right. I could still get after it. Um, but, um, so big learning experience. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced in the restaurant industry? Uh, you know, the restaurant business, I, I think you'll find this to be true even today too, is, is, uh, there's, there's, there's one element that's very important is that you have to prep really well for the next day, depending on, you know, how many people are you're servicing, um, what your business is, you know, uh, what you're offering at any particular time and then understanding those numbers and then being able to service those numbers through the preparation, right? So you're only as consistent as you prep for the following day and you always have to be prepared. The job is never done in the restaurant business. You have to be prepared, really prepared for the next day. And if you like, for instance, for us at the deli, we, we offered a fair, uh, we offered a fair product, um, uh, I would say, um, at a reasonable price and, and, and we are very consistent and you have to be consistent. It doesn't matter if you're going to, if you're going to, you're going to decide, right. If you're going to serve $2 burritos and they're out in a bucket and you're catching people coming out of the bar and they're two bucks and they're just kind of subpar burrito, you know, that's fine. Don't make any changes, right? Don't make it three or $4 and then offer the same product or make it way better. And all of a sudden offer $12 because that's not what the people want. You didn't fulfill your niche there. So I think, you know, we kind of secured our niche early on and then we had a level of consistency and then to be able to maintain that day in and day out, it's just a major, major grind. That's why the restaurant business is so difficult, right? is they can't maintain that level of consistency in their product offering. Mm -hmm. Consistency is so key. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like Chipotle <laughs> is because you get the same thing every single time you go, no matter which location you go to. But I also think consistency is a key ingredient to a successful life outside of the restaurant industry, whether it's waking up early or having a daily exercise routine. I think consistency is really key to slowly progressing, getting 1% better every single day as you move towards whatever you're aiming at. For sure. Can I talk about the Chipotle little spoon shake that they do though real quick? Please. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? 
I do not. I don't know. Okay. Either. All right. Let's say you get a bowl, right? <laughs> and you want chicken in your bowl. All right. You following me? Yeah. Okay. So they, they, they got your bowl and you got your rice in there. You got your bean offering. And then they take the chicken and it's a full scoop. And then they put the scoop of chicken on top of the bowl. And then they take a second scoop and there's some chicken on there, but they keep shaking the spoon until all the chicken, maybe other than one nuggets left on the spoon. And then it ends up up in the bowl. You ever, you ever notice that? There's uh, gotta be a name for that, man. My, Common discrepancy. My <laughs> whole, my whole world just turned upside down. Oh my God. It just crushes me. You know, <laughs> maybe being a restaurant tour and I see that I'm like, what is up with what is up because they're obviously they're consistent we could go to the one in la jolla and the one in del mar and one up in oceanside and they're still going to do the shake so somebody in corporate <laughs> somebody in corporate is is training these people to do this pushing the shake, shake. man i'm i tell you what i just i just lose it over that but anyway <laughs> i digress i guess so what we're talking about consistency and what <laughs> Consistency that's in the hilarious. Chipotle shake. The Chipotle that's going to be the, the, oh, the episode Oh, the Chipotle yeah. shake. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. So, what was the what was the breaking point when you knew that you had to step away from the restaurant? Oh, uh, you know, uh, everything's on cruise control, right? I have a general manager that I'm I'm paying a nice salary. Um, he or she is healthy. Um, all of my employees are healthy. Uh, they're 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 not only healthy, but they're they're happy. I should say and. You know, it was just a really good environment. Uh, and it was a f letting me, uh, it was providing me with the things I wanted to do. So we're talking about travel again. We're talking about, you know, surfing. We're talking about going wherever we want to go, right? And I had that level of trust in my employees to be able to, to be mobile and, um, and go do the things I basically wanted to do. But I think I came to a point where it was like 11 years and you know 10 years or so and I was like you know what I'm either going to do one or two things I'm either going to take this model and I'm going to blow it up and I'm going to franchise it and take it to the next level because I think it had all the ingredients for that business to grow um, but I just couldn't get my head around it I was just like ah, you know my mom had passed away and you know this is this is the late 1990s and my mother had passed away and I'm thinking all these different things. I'm in my early thirties at that time. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I just want to make that corporate grind and, you know, keep my head down and just keep grinding. It had already been a lot of work to get to the point to where I was. And I was like, all right, I think it's, I think it's time to sell. And, uh, I came to that conclusion. Um, in uh 2001 and i sold the business three months before 9 11. so that was pretty good timing boys wow wow just yeah. wasn't passionate about subs anymore <laughs> you lost the fire i've always been passionate about subs <laughs> and i will let you both know that the danny sub is still on the menu today Let's wow. go. So 30 something years so they're rushing it. Restaurant's still firing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Nice. I think I think they have two or three locations now. So wow, it did work. Uh, they opened multiple locations, and uh, they're on their third owner, and they're doing well. Beautiful. Yeah. So what's the next step? What happens after that? Next step uh, after Rest sell after the restaurant, restaurant business. Yep. The next step is I go. I have a burning desire to travel. So I sell the business and shortly after I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a ticket to Australia and I'm going to go to Indonesia and then I'm just going to keep traveling from there. It was like Hawaii, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, and kind of a funny story too. When you, um, talk about, I guess if you want to use the word fate or, um, you know, just unusual circumstance. I, I had befriended a guy in Winter Park that was an Australian. He was a snowboarder. And uh, I actually met him down in Costa Rica, but um, he was going down on a trip with some ski instructors and some other people that I actually was going down. And I just, I, I was on the same flight and I just caught a ride with him to this place they were staying out in uh, Playa Ivianas on the Nokoya Peninsula. And I didn't know him that well. All I knew was uh, he was living in a town called Thoreau, south of Sydney. 
and he told me, gave me some visual images of some of the beaches he was surfing, and, and that's really all I knew. His name was Tim Reachaw, is team Tim Reachaw, and uh, and I got on a flight after I sold the business, and I got into Sydney, and I went to a place called King's Cross because I knew I wanted to buy a car, and a pretty seedy part of uh, Sydney, and I bought a car with the steering wheel on the other side for fifteen hundred bucks. US and the dollar was very strong at that time so I was popular I was a popular American down there <laughs> and uh and I drove a couple of beaches I went to a place called uh Bulai and then I went to Thoreau and then uh, he described some of the beaches and I I went to one and uh, you know I asked some guys who were coming out of the water and they didn't know and and I they referred me to the next beach down and I went down same deal hit up a couple of guys in the parking lot um and I said, do you, do you know a guy named Tim Reachaw? He's like, yeah, mate, he's out in the water right now. <laughs> I paddled out and there he was. Again, no phones, guys, no communication, wow. no nothing. I didn't have his email. I didn't have anything. So kind of crazy. What can you tell us just about the, the importance of speaking up and talking to people, especially when you're traveling to, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Well, I, I think that's the beauty of traveling by yourself. Uh, you didn't notice that, you know, I was traveling by myself. Um, my girlfriend at the time later came down to join me. But when you go by yourself, you have no choice but to interact with people and meet new people. And when you're traveling and you're in and out of hostels and you're going to different places and hotels and you're, you know, brokering little deals here and there because you're trying to save money and you're going in on places or maybe sharing a meal together or whatnot, it is tremendous. It's the best. I I recommend it to everybody. I know it's weird with COVID right now, but you know, get out if you can travel and you can go places and you'll figure it out, man. Mm-hmm. Now, like you just got to, you just got to get yourself out there. That's really interesting because my mom had a similar experience in on a flight to Australia. She met a couple on the flight who they started talking and this couple was like, Oh, here's the key to our house. You can go stay in it for two weeks because we're going to the other side of Australia. And I wanted to chalk that up as just, it was a much simpler time back then. But now that I think about it, I really do think one of the biggest things is that she was traveling alone, you were traveling alone. And when you get in these conversations with strangers, you really don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's such a key takeaway for me and a realization that I'm having is to just get out there by myself because when you're by yourself, you, you have to talk to other people, right? You have to progress the plot in that way. It's part of the trip. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, you, if you're allowing yourself, if you're going to put yourself out there and make yourself accessible to whatever adventure is going to come your way, it will. I mean, um, sometimes when you're traveling with partners, you're trying to negotiate logistics and, you know, we stay here, stay there or whatever. It's going to change the dynamic completely. But if, but if you're open, I, I just for me, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from traveling with other people or, you know, your significant other or whatnot. But um, but it's pretty exciting to to be able to go by yourself. I think we were talking about this um, Jordan Peterson quote of just you're without going out there, trying new things, talking to people. We're really incomplete. Like We don't know what we can become when we get out there. And what's really cool and what I love about solo traveling is you can be anybody you want to be. You can be, you talk to somebody new, nobody knows who you are. You, and that almost makes you the best version of yourself because who you truly are shines through in those moments that I found. Vincent, it just got weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little weird. So the energy in the room is uh, a bit heavy. I felt a little left out there. You guys just locked <laughs> eyes from across the room. Greg, will you kindly leave the room? Uh, I have some jazzercise to attend to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nothing like solo travel. It oh, teaches sure. you so much. So you're in Australia. You have the travel bug and you're jumping around to Hawaii, to other places, Indonesia. Are you just focused on the present moment and traveling or are you kind of recalculating in the back of your mind, figuring out what's going to be after this. I am not thinking what's next whatsoever. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, um, you know, I'm traveling that they make a book in Australia and it's called the surfer's guide and they call it the Bible, right? 
and it gives you a pretty good description. But again, no phones, no, you know, there's internet, but it's dodgy and you got to go to internet cafes or <laughs> whatever. So, you know, you're following this book and going from place to place. And sometimes I would land on beaches where I would look left up the coast, right down the coast. And I wouldn't see anything. You know, it was just insane. Uh, so, I mean, there was a lot of time uh, for me to be in my own head, but I just sucked it up, man. I just, I soaked it up. I loved it. I really did. Um, same with Indonesia. You know, it's a different stimulus altogether when I ended up there. Uh, you just, I just didn't have time to think of, I, I think coming off the restaurant business too, I just wasn't you know, ready, really ready to tear into something else again, hmm. professionally, to be honest with you. So I had the bug guys for, you know, I was going to take off for six months and two and a half later, two and a half years later, I was basically, you know, kind of grounded back in the States. So my travels took me around and I just kept riding it, man. You know, that's awesome. We need, I mean, spend your proceeds. You know, the message is, Make all the money you can from a business and then just go spend it all in two and a half what years. Because for? you know what I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, actually guys, you know, you know your buddies, uh, like when they graduate from college, they do a trip and they go to Europe and maybe they spend three months in Europe or whatever like that. I had plenty of friends that did that and I was thinking, okay, I was skiing like, well, it was me, right? I, I take off and, you know, I'm skiing and competing and then I open a restaurant and then I'm working hard from the age of 24 into my 30s. Um, I was just thinking at that time, I was like, look, I, you know, if, there, if I'm going to retire at any point in my life, this is going to be the time that I do it right here. And I'm going to take the proceeds of the business. I'm not going to spend it all, uh, but I'm going to take this opportunity and go travel. Uh, I was like, Hey, you know, my buddies did it after college. I'm just going to do it now after I sold this business. And that's kind of how I made that happen. That's maybe just a great point that it's never too late. You know, maybe people, I mean, obviously Vincent, I was only 30. I think <laughs> I was only 33. <laughs> you were 50 when you decided. Yeah, I'm old now. I'm old now. I know you're looking at me. He's <laughs> all that. Yeah. But, but you now obviously it changes when you're not just by yourself anymore, but it's never too late to get out there and just find your soul. For sure. And so I love that concept. And it's something that Tim Ferriss popularized in the four hour work week is essentially taking your traditional retirement age of like, or your retirement time from 65 to 85, 90, and take that chunk of time and break it up into various different pieces and sprinkle that throughout your life so that maybe you quote unquote retire for a year or two and go travel. But then you come back and you find what you're passionate about next and you get back in the game and then you work for a stint of time. And then when there's a natural breaking point, you take another big trip, another big adventure. And for me personally, that just sounds so much more appealing to do that than just work straight through until you're 65 and then sit on your porch and play golf all day. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to retire right now because I'd, I'd love to be able to travel and do things and, sit on and the porch. go skiing and do things. Not necessarily sit on the porch, <laughs> but, um, you know, spend more time with my, my girls and get them to travel and do things. And, you know, if my wife didn't have to work as hard either, you know, those things would be great. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, some people can afford to do that and they're at this age. and But, you know, physically they're not in a position to do the things that they could in their late twenties or their early thirties. So you also have to consider that. I think that's True. very important because if you're going to go to Uluwatu and, you know, charge that left-hander, you know, or desert point or something like that, you have to be in good enough shape to be able to withstand that wipeout. And, um, I'm not sure I can do that right now on <laughs> dry reef. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so it might be a great transition. Can you tell us about the, the seal training that you did? Oh, okay. So, so, uh, you know, I, I, I get back to America, right? I've been traveling and I get back to Colorado, um, specifically, and I'm kind of looking around and I've spent all of my life in winters and, uh, you know, it's starting to snow again and I'm just not as fired up about winters, just spending as much ocean time as I had the, the you know, previous couple of years. And I'm thinking, well, where am I going to go? You know, I'd like to go somewhere in the States and, you know, San Diego is on the radar. And then, uh, you know, 
I think I think what I told myself is I uh, like uh, you know I was still kind of in travel mode and I was like oh, I'll just go out there for six months get a little place get a little studio and you know I'm single at the time and and uh, that's what I did so I came to San Diego and that was I don't know what it was you know 17 years ago or 18 years ago and I, I never left you know as you guys kind of know I don't <laughs> know if you guys are from I know Gregory's from Oregon but uh, you know you land in this place and you like kind of it feels pretty good so uh, so that's what I did. And when I was here, I actually thought I was going to get back into the restaurant business. Um, you know, I started looking at leases on um, the real estate market was super hot, you know, right around 2004. Or so 2003, five, um, it was just bananas and even getting a commercial lease. Uh, there was nobody out there willing to give me any longer than a one or a two year lease. And if you're going into the restaurant business and you're gonna get entrenched and make the initial capital investment that you need to make, uh, you wanna know that your belief in that location and the the capital and the effort that it's gonna take that you're gonna be there a little bit longer. So I just couldn't get a deal that worked for me for what I wanted to do as far as another concept that was maybe similar to the, it was different, but um, the concept was the same that I thought that I know would work in North County because that's the perfect fit, you know, casual kind of serving food throughout the morning and the afternoon and expedited food and, you know, you get, you know, nice looking people to, you know, serve the food and be at the counter and whatever. Uh, but I, you know, I just couldn't find the right deal. So I started training people. It just seemed like a natural progression that I would start training people. And, uh, you know, I, uh, got a job at a place called Delmar workout, which is right near where 21 foot 21, 20 fitness is located today. And I just started training there. It was a, kind of a crazy place with, you know, all kinds of different trainers and the bodybuilder, you know, crew. And, um, it was fun place to cut my teeth. So that's, that's where I kind of pivoted from the restaurant idea and then got me involved with training. And then from that, so you were training people there and how did you get involved with CrossFit? And then specifically, how did you get involved with seal fit? Yeah, so the, the CrossFit's kind of interesting because uh, right around um, 2005, uh, I was at a party and on the coffee table, there was a men's journal on there. And I was just, you know, you're just kind of fingering through a magazine and I got near the back and there was just a little sliver of a story and it said the king of cult on the, uh, on the, on the caption and it was the founder, Greg Glassman, and he was standing with his foot like, you know, you know what Captain Morgan looks like, you know, oh, he's yeah. got his foot up. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We know what that looks like. It's kind of what he looked like, right? He's this, you know, kind of older guy, kind of gruff and he's got his, you know, foot up on a med ball. And I read about it and I was like, you know, what is this training? It was kind of vague, but it said kind of pointed me in the direction of uh, crossfit.com. So I landed on that and the, the website was real basic, right? It almost looked like it was all in like HTML at the time. And it was like, you know, just real basic, real drab colors, like yellow and white. And, uh, but they were just sharing everything. They were just sharing everything and all their experiences and their workouts and all the content was, you know, kind of getting flooded in from the comment pages and everything. I was just like, well, this is different. Like, you know, there was a group that's actually willing to like kind of share their, you know, their, their, the secrets of the great, you know, uh, unknown of the exercise universe. Right. And <clears throat> I just, you know, I landed on, started doing those workouts. And uh, the first workout I ever did was in like a Globo gym, that Delmar workout. And it was called Filthy 50. And I absolutely, you know, because it told me to go hard and fast, right? Go hard and fast, you know, same kind of mogul skiing mentality or whatever. And I totally speed. I mean, yeah. it was like everything you thought about CrossFit in the early days was like came true. I was just like going hard and trying to do this workout for time, but it's a pretty lengthy one. Uh, so, that sparked my interest and then uh, ended up getting my level one certification with CrossFit. Um, at that time, there was 22 affiliates worldwide. Um, Greg Glassman and all his crew like Dave Castro and Nicole Carroll and uh, all the others that were part of the certification team, uh, which are kind of the founders of CrossFit today. Um, they were putting on these certifications. And uh, I remember other trainers at the gym I was at was like, what, this is crazy. What are you doing? What? 
your involvement with this, but um, so that was really exciting. Uh, it was just a new way to train, and uh, you did it in a, a group atmosphere, and uh, felt like a team again, and it was just a lot of fun. So fast forward to Seal Fit. Uh, what I, is? Will you explain what Seal Fit is for people yeah, who don't know? Yeah. So uh, so um, Mark Devine, uh, Commander Mark Devine, uh, he was uh, in the Seal teams for twenty years had a real interesting story too. I, I won't go into that, but, um, he got into the SEAL teams kind of a later age. Um, he was, um, he was working on wall street. Um, uh, you know, trying to, you know, move stocks or whatever he was in the financial space. And, uh, he was like kind of the same thing. Uh, something caught his eye where, you know, he wanted to become a special operator and SEAL teams long, short, and he goes into the teams uh, becomes a commander and has a long career in the teams. Like I said, 20 years and retires probably about 22 years, something like that. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's close to that. So he gets, he's, uh, he's working as a reservist in the Navy still. And, uh, he's in Encinitas and he has an idea, uh, that he wants to provide training for pre-soft candidates that are potentially going into buds that want to become Navy SEALs, right? And there's nothing that really uh, puts these uh, candidates in a position to really find out whether they have what it takes um, physically and mentally, especially um, before they sign that contract with the Navy and then take a chance by going to BUDS. Because if they don't make it through BUDS, they're getting pushed back down into the Navy somewhere. And they're probably going to end up, you know, on the USS, you know, never sail, uh, chip and paint and scrubbing toilets. Right. So it's not as attractive as becoming a Navy SEAL. So long short, uh, you know, you know, I was looking for a place to cut my teeth with CrossFit primarily and CrossFit U S CrossFit was in Encinitas and that's what Mark divine owned at that time. Uh, commander divine was running, us crossfit and there was no seal fit at that time so i, I go in there and i ask you know I, I go uh right up to coach divine and i say you know i'd like to get a job and he goes you got experience and i go yeah sure you know i don't have any experience coaching crossfit at the time but definitely i was like you know uh and he goes well you know i'll let you intern here and um and you can start coaching X amount of days or whatever. And I was like, intern. And he was like, yeah, we're, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to give you all the necessary training so you can become a coach. I was like, yeah, I'll coach for you and I'll coach your hours, but I'm not going to be an intern. Um, you're you're going to, you're going to pay me to do the job. And I think you're going to find that, you know, um, you know, I'm, pretty good at this you know you know what am i saying you know i'm like i don't even have any experience with it, but but i'm confident enough to say hey i'm gonna be able to deliver the goods here and uh he gives me a job and i start coaching uh crossfit uh get uh you know i cut my teeth there and uh you know i'm training crossfit i'm coaching crossfit everybody that was into it at that time it was just such a killer facility it was you know outside and down on encinitas um open space with a you know freestanding pull-up rig out in what we call the grinder they call that the grinder down um in coronado as well and it's a big open space with a drain on it so you can pour water on it and do whatever and you pull ups and everything so uh so you know i you know i was you know i was basically his head coach and i was writing programming and it was moving along and then he wanted to start this program called seal fit where he wanted to help these pre-soft candidates and one of the programs that was going to be part of it was the Kokoro camp. And that's a 50 hour camp, uh, that is a, you know, just a, uh, crucible experience, um, that is going to make you move for 50 hours experience, you know, really hard physical task, uh, that you have to fulfill with your teammates and in a team atmosphere. Uh, but you're going to be extremely mentally challenged as well. Um, and through that experience, you'll gain whether or not you want to go sign a contract with the Navy and actually, you know, take a shot to becoming a Navy SEAL. So it's a really, really, at the time, um, it was sort of a one of a kind experience, um, that other people just, I, I don't 
know if he knew exactly what it was going to turn into. But, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are thinking, you know, I could go through this really difficult experience and, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm not going to go to the Navy or whatnot, but, uh, I want to see if I, you know, have what it takes to make it through this experience. So, so did you end up going through it? So I went through it myself. You know, funny story is I started, uh, I started coaching before I had gone through it. Uh, I, I was coaching uh, like Kokoro nine. I think there's 70 Kokoro camps that have happened now. I think they were happening like three every year, maybe four every year, but, uh, right around eight or nine was my involvement, uh, because I was a head coach at CrossFit and so I'm coaching and I'm working with primarily former Navy SEALs, right? Which make up the coaching cadre. And I'm coaching with these guys, but I didn't experience it, right? So I, I knew that I had to step up and, and uh, you know, go through the experience itself. Uh, so I, I signed up, I think, for a late August camp in 2010 and I went through the camp the only problem was that I knew a lot about all the evolutions already so I I I knew you know that's good and bad right Mm -hmm. knowing sometimes it's it's good not to know uh the experience they're going to put you through and um so any anyway I, I went through the camp um, you know, with the guys that I had worked with previous and I had a relationship and it was just a tremendous experience. I loved it, but, um, I didn't like being cold. They knew that they knew putting me in cold situations was going to be the worst thing for me. I could Mm. run all day. I could do any physical tasks they asked me to do, but that was the big challenge for me. That was the big hurdle. Yeah. And so my understanding is, and like you said, it's essentially a civilian version of buds to see it won't be as difficult as actually going. Of course not. Of course course not. not. But it's a 50 hour experience of getting absolutely pounded in every direction. (laughs) And I was looking at the website and I just was chuckling to myself because you go to the Q and a or the FAQ (laughs) section and it's like, this is 50 hours. When do I sleep? You don't. Do you have vegetarian options? No. (laughs) (laughs) The answers were just one sentence. And I thought it was very funny. Um, but it's, it's interesting that I think that kind of experience calls to a lot of people, especially in today's society. I'm actually reading a book called the comfort crisis, which is talking about how we've become so comfortable in our safe, secure temperature controlled lives that we lack a lot of the mental and physical stimulus to unlock our true selves and our true potential. And he introduces this idea of a masogi, which is this Japanese concept where you, you, cleanse your, you cleanse yourself through something very, very difficult. And it sounds like Kokoro is right up that alley. What was, what was one of the big takeaways besides, besides realizing you don't like being cold? What was one of the big takeaways from going through something that difficult? Well, you, you, have, to, you have to go to that camp prepared. You, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to do an hour of CrossFit a day or any type of exercise, you know, regime and say, okay, I'm here, let's go. I'm in the grinder. The warning order is out and I'm looking at, you know, down the pipe of the next 50 hours because the first evolution is going to come hot and hard, right? It's, it's, it's going to come at you and it's going to test you mentally right from the get go. And then, they're going to make it very clear to you that, um, congratulations, Benedict, you have 48 more hours to go. Good job. Just did two hours. Awesome. Keep it up, bud. 48 to go. And it's just, a you know, uh, and I don't think I'm letting out too much there by kind of sharing that information, but, uh, you know, it is a really good experience and, you know, the people that you go through the camp with is, um, you know, a pretty solid bond as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, cause it's a pretty intimate experience as well, I would say, um, because the, you know, the whole team aspect is, uh, is absolutely vital or you're going to get hammered if you're not looking out for your crew. Can't, I'm sure you can't give details, but was there any moment where you were, on the brink of total destruction and you somehow pulled through and maybe you were there for a teammate or just something that comes to mind? 
Yeah, uh, I did it. Uh, I did it with a good friend of mine. Um, his name's Sean Lake. He's the founder of Bubs and uh, Bubs College, and you know, he's got some good products out there. I don't mean to push that, but uh, he, uh, at the time, I I kind of signed him up because I made a major announcement. We were doing a workout for Seal Fit. We used to do these long workouts on the grinder. Um, they were um, Seal Fit wads. And they were essentially three hours long, right? They had multiple pieces to them. And we used to wear camis, you know, it was like full on boots, camis, belt, t-shirt, just, you know, just total, you know, shit fest. Can I say that? Uh, and, and so we, we, we put in the hard work and, uh, and then at, at the end of one of the workouts, I was like, Hey, major announcement, everybody. I'd like to declare that. Sean and I will both be doing Kogoro <laughs> unannounced to him. So it was pretty awesome. And I, there was a moment uh, where we're, it was like in the nighttime. The night's hard because you're, you know, you're in and out of the water and it's cold again and, you know, it's nighttime and, you know, nighttime can potentially make quitters out of anybody, um, you know, in the middle of the night and you're, you're through pain and suffering. But we had a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm not going in that water one more time, Sean. I'm not doing it. This is it. Even though I'm running forward, right? I'm yeah. still I'm still moving. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, man. Uh, I'm not going back in that ocean tonight. It's not going to happen. He's like, what are you talking about, man? You got me into this. You made me do this. It was like that moment in Stripes almost. Like it was kind of hilarious. But, you know, the point is, like, when you're in a camp like that and you're doing really hard things, you have to learn to laugh. You, you have to learn to joke at situations. Um, all those guys that are, you know, uh, former team guys and current team guys, they make light of hard situations all the time. And humor is just part of the game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just the, it's the, it's the distraction you need um, at a moment of your weakest. And sometimes it, you know, a lot of times, I wouldn't say a lot of times, but it does pull people through. For sure, for sure. We a couple episodes ago, um, the whole theme was just mastery to show that you truly understand something, or just that you're, you know, you're just gonna make it through. Is if you can retain your humor and if you could make light of a difficult, challenging situation, then you have a much much better chance of making it through with anything we do in life. It's to keep a to keep it with a light touch and is changes everything. So we won't take up too much more of your time here, but final question to wrap things up kind of encompasses the whole theme of the show here. What does success really mean to you? You know, if, if I were to think about that now, I would, my success is going to be seeing those girls grow up and be exactly the people that they want to be. Right. Um, because like I said, as a father, it's a little bit different. Um, it's not so much about myself as my life progresses further along here. Um, I just want to have new challenges and be able to, you know, have the opportunity to be successful at anything that I want to do. Um, I help a lot of people. I've helped a lot of people already. Um, but the greatest challenge is really giving all the tools and, you know, setting your kids up for the opportunity to be the very best they can be. I think that to me is going to be success. Love it. That's a fantastic answer. And before we let you go, I just want to ask where can people learn more about you, whether it's about 2120 in Del Mar or you personally, is there anywhere you would direct people to learn more? You know, if you have a carrier pigeon, that would be really <laughs> helpful. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to start a YouTube channel where I'm going to start to put uh, more of my content. We talked about helping people and, and uh, making exercise acceptable, or acceptable but accessible to the masses. Uh, so YouTube channel, you can you can find me at Danny Faxon Miller on YouTube or our 2120 fitness page on YouTube. 
Um, our website is under construction through the whole COVID deal. We didn't bring a lot of visibility to ourselves, but we're hopefully we're coming out of this and not going back into a lockdown and all that. We didn't even talk about the essential side of owning a gym business, but, um, you know, hopefully that's all good. But, uh, you know, I have some interesting opportunities working with some other people in the future too. And, and, uh, that'll probably have a different name than my own on there. Um, but we want to offer transformational experiences in our gym down in Del Mar. So we'll share that with you when it comes available. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the dare to dream podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you. <laughs>